Today we're reading Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube live right now. Thank you for joining us. God's Amazing Promises is our current teaching series. Only have a few more of these. And this weekend we're talking about God's Amazing Promises for Healing Your Woundedness. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 103. 103. It's a great psalm. Let me start with this story. A mother and her four-year-old son were looking through an old family photo album. The boy pointed at a picture of a handsome young man with blonde, curly hair, and he asked, who's that? She told him, that's your father. The boy looked confused. Then who's the bald guy who lives with us now? (laughs) That's the story of my life. Right there. I had premature baldness right out of high school, and uh, I have never been embarrassed by it, nor has my wife. And the reason is because it's just like my dad's. In fact, my dad had baldness that began in high school. I looked at his old high school pictures, and he was already losing his hair in high school. And you could say that I'm his son because we have very similar and attractive hairlines. (laughs) Like father, like son. And I never worked at my hairline, it just happened to, to be that way because I have my father's genes, his DNA are in me. And uh, I was always told, too, that grass doesn't grow on a busy street. Uh, God only made a few perfect heads, and he put hair on the rest. And, per- and heaven's going to be a perfect place. Y'all are going to be bald in heaven. Okay, yeah, this is Father's Day. Those are dumb dad jokes, Okay. You're going to hear a lot of those today. Welcome to Desert Breeze. Actually, you hear those every weekend, don't you? Those dad, dumb jokes, or dumb dad jokes, yeah. So, so it's kind of interesting. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, where Elisha is made fun of, uh, a group of kids are making fun of his baldness. They're called him baldy, baldy. And two she-bears come out of the woods and devour the kids. That is my favorite story in the Bible. Some of you need to take note of that, okay? It's a fascinating story. And so it was interesting. My son Ross, our oldest son, when he was three years old, he went and gave himself a haircut. Any parents have kids that give themselves a haircut? They find, they find the scissors. And so he took the scissors and just whacked away right here and then right here. 
And his mom said, what, what, Russ, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? Because dad doesn't have any hair here, and he doesn't have any hair here, and I wanted to be just like my dad, is what he said. So, so like father, like son, in more ways than one, by nature and nurture. Take a look at your sermon notes here. What was your father like? Everyone is marked and shaped by their father for good or for bad. What kind of dad did you have growing up? I gave you a list here. Was, was it a tragic situation in your home? Maybe dad left you when you were young. Or maybe dad was killed in action in the service or as a first responder. Tragic. Maybe he was a terrible dad. He was there, but he wasn't there. Maybe he's a tough dad or a tender dad or a tolerable or a terrific dad. It could be any one of those or any number of those, combination of any of those. Now, you never look back to blame. You only look back for understanding. And in fact, um, along with that, you never judge a person by where they are, but by how far they have come. When I, when I begin to understand more and more my dad's background and his brokenness, I had greater understanding, appreciation, and compassion for my dad. My dad was raised by an alcoholic father who abandoned him at a very young age, broke his heart. And then he was uh, somewhat, for the, for the most part, raised by a mom who was controlling, manipulative, overbearing, though she loved Jesus, but she had a lot of her own baggage and brokenness in that. She later married a guy who adopted my dad. His name was Ray Davis. And he was a tough dude. He was kind of a mobster type guy. And I knew that he didn't care for me. He didn't care for myself or my older sister, Vicky. but he loved and adored my little sister, Eloa, called her Little Hollywood. But you could see that in him. And what was fascinating about him is that he, my dad grew up in Prescott, there in the downtown courtyard area. You guys familiar with that? And so his dad, Ray Davis, owned a pool hall, a pool hall that was on Cortez. Cortez is east of Montezuma, where Whiskey Row is. Some of you said you were very familiar with Whiskey Row last weekend, and I'm praying for you. And so, uh, so it was, it's just the street over from Whiskey Row. He had a pool hall where he had back uh, room illegal gambling going on. That's how he made his money. My, and my, my grandpa, Ray Davis, had a ton of money. And all the police and everybody knew what was going on there. So my dad was raised in that environment, grew up there. I have kind of a fondness to that courtyard area because I knew my dad grew up in that area and around that, in that region. But it was just uh, really quite fascinating. As I began to understand my dad's background, I, I had greater understanding and appreciation and compassion uh, for my dad. I also had greater compassion and understanding for my father-in-law. My father-in-law uh, lost his father at 13, 13 years old. He was injured in a work accident, had gangrene, and it took him out. So 13 years old, imagine losing your father, being raised by a single mom and five sisters. I think he had some issues with women, to say the least. 
And he had to immediately get out and start trying to help support the family at that time. And so here's your next thought on your notes. Your view of your heavenly father is a projection or a rejection of your view of your earthly father. We all have this homing instinct is what I call it. We always return to that which is most familiar to us, even if it's dysfunctional, because we don't know any better. So we tend to repeat those bad habits over and over again based on a lot of it has to do with our upbringing and how we were shaped growing up. The key to our future is finding healing for our past. So Psalm 27.10, this is a great psalm, says, For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. The Lord will take me in. So here's the heart of Psalm 103. This is a beautiful psalm on this Father's Day weekend. Psalm 103.13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord, so the Lord, Yahweh, shows compassion to those who fear him. The idea of compassion here is that your Father in heaven has deep affection for you. And he adores you, delights in you, rejoices over you. That's the idea behind this this compassion. And the idea here is that, really, that there is no father on earth that wants the very best for their children as much as your father in heaven wants for you. And, and so you need to always keep that in mind. Knowing and experiencing the father heart of God for you will heal all wounds Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I know that he's close to all of us that call on his name. There's no doubt about that. But I think he has a particular closeness to those of us that have brokenness in our life. Like parents who have multiple kids and one of their kids is acting out and struggling and having a lot of issues. Mom and dad tend to give a little bit more attention and affection to them to help them to get through that. That's the idea here. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. So who is God the Father? Who's God the Father? What is he like? Who is he really? What is the Father heart of God toward us? To say that God is our Father should never never be done in a cavalier, casual way. It should be really captivating and compelling to us, when we really understand the implications of that. Now, this psalm, as much as any place in the Bible, reveals to us who our Father in heaven most deeply is. So what do wounded sinners most need? That's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Before we do that, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Let's ask for God's help to illuminate his word to our hearts and lives. Lord, thank you for our biological, our spiritual fathers And even if we are in the worst case scenario that our father and mother have forsaken us, Lord, we we are so thankful for the promise that you will take us in. Help us to see that the key to our future is healing for our past. May we swim in the ocean of your compassion for us, healing all of our woundedness, we pray in your son's beautiful name. And everyone said... Amen. So healing your wounded heart, I'm going to give you the ABCs of emotional, healthy spirituality. ABCs. 
Here's the first one. Acknowledge and assess your thoughts, emotions, and actions regularly. This should be just part of your life. And uh, how many are familiar, by show of hands, how many are familiar with this idea of emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence. Show of hands, emotional intelligence. Okay. Not, uh, there's, there's a number of you. Probably most don't. Let me explain to you what emotional intelligence is. It is being aware of your feelings and the feelings of others, interpreting them correctly, and being able to bring calmness to yourself and the situation by redirecting negative emotions in a productive way. That's, that's, there's a lot there. That's emotional intelligence. I get a, a kind of a bit of an understanding in these first two verses that he's got some emotional intelligence going on. Because listen to what he says, verses 1 2. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Now you'll notice here in this psalm, many of the psalms are directed towards God. They're psalms that are vertical to God. Other psalms are horizontal, inviting people to, to go with them to worship God. But what's fascinating about this psalm is that this psalm is really more internal. This is, this is a psalm of self-talk, kind of emotional intelligence. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and come on, soul. Come on, soul. Don't forget. Don't forget all of his benefits. Here's your fill-in-the-blank. Next fill-in-the-blank. Here's your thought under this, this point. Acknowledge and assess your thoughts, emotions, and actions regularly. Your life is no better and no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head so our mind is this ceaselessly active fountain or stream out of which our life flows. That's why it tells us in, in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your, the loves of your life, the things that you love, the way that you think and feel and behave. Guard your heart, for it is the direction you go in life. Proverbs 23.7, New American Standard puts it this way, as a person thinks within himself, then so is he. Tells us in Romans 8, 5 and 8, it talks about our mindset, kind of our pattern of thinking. And it says the mindset of the flesh, flesh meaning self-absorption, self-centeredness, the mindset of the flesh is death. The mindset of the spirit is life and peace. So your life is no better and no worse than the thoughts you entertain in your head. So we all talk to ourselves whether we know it or not. You're talking to yourself right now, but we speak with our mouths about 150 to 200 words a minute, but we carry on an inner dialogue with ourselves out of an, at an astounding rate of about 1,300 words per minute, depending on how much sleep we got the night before, or how much espresso we've had this morning, okay? And, and uh, you're probably wondering why Pastor Ray speaks so fast often, because I'm trying to get a word in edgewise because of your inner dialogue that's going on at 1,300 words a minute. That's right now, that's what's going on in your mind, that fast, that quick. And so 
all day long, you have, you're having thoughts, observations, perceptions, ideas flowing through your mind in the form of self-talk. So you've heard me say this many times before, your evaluation, your self-talk of the events in your life is what determines how you feel and how you will behave to those events. It's not the events that make you feel and behave the way you feel and behave. It's your self-talk. It's what you're saying to yourself about those events. That's why it's important to have a biblical worldview, to, to always filter everything through God's word. Now, here's the next thought on your notes. Negative patterns of thoughts are burned into our minds either through repetition over time or traumatic experiences. I've had traumatic experiences in my life. I'm sure you have too. And I can, I can remember those things vividly. People, hurtful and hateful things that people have said to me. They tend to overshadow even a lot of the good things that have been said to me, which is kind of crazy about how we're wired up. The Bible calls this, uh, these strongholds, these are neural pathways. This is what becomes instinct or second nature to us. So negative patterns of thoughts are burned into our minds either through repetition over time or traumatic experiences. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 calls them strongholds. Strongholds are negative habits of thought that must be captured and brought into the obedience of Christ. So everyone has certain habits and patterns of thought. Say you walked in here today and someone looked at you and said, gee, you look terrific. An optimist would maybe be thinking like this, hey, what a friendly guy. A narcissist, I was thinking the same thing. Tell me more. You fascinate me. A pessimist, the lighting in here must be really bad. A cynic, this person must be trying to recruit me for something. So you can see we all these patterns of thought. Typically, they come out of our defense mechanisms that are developed early on in our life. We just kind of naturally run this certain path. Here's your next thought. Our best healing for the lies in our head is the rehearsal of God's word in our heart. So Psalm 119.11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So the problem behind all of our problems <laughs> is that I, I forget the gospel. I forget that I'm a child of God. This is what the psalmist is saying. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and... Forget not all his benefits, because that's our problem. We tend to forget who we are and what he's done for us. And, and so gospel amnesia happens when I forget who God is, what he's done for me, who I am in light of that, and how it applies to the people, things, and circumstances of my life. So gospel amnesia gives way to inordinate anxiety, worry, fear, doubt, bitterness, despair, self-pity, despondency, discontentment, anger, and the list goes on. Verses 1 and 2, basically what he's saying here is it's much more than recall. We can all recall the blessings, but he's wanting to live in the reality of the blessings of God, all the blessings of God. He's wanting it to be more than a concept in his head. He wants it to be a reality in his heart. This is what he's saying. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Man, he wants it to get a hold of his life. 
It is to have a truth so central to your awareness that it controls your thoughts, emotions, and actions. Not just to be clear to your mind. I mean, we could all probably take a theological test and score relatively high based on how long we've been in the church. But it's more than having those truths clear to our mind. He wants these truths real to his heart. And so strongholds are identified by following triggers to overwhelming thoughts and feelings back to the origin and confronting them with the blessings of God. This is where we have major breakdown in our life. First of all, we're totally not in touch with our emotions. We just kind of let our emotions run loose. So we don't have a lot of emotional intelligence. So the first thing is to be really in touch with our our. our overwhelming thoughts and feelings that are triggered at any given moment and then try to follow that back to where, what's going on here? What is, what's happening? And then begin to confront those negative emotions with the truth of who God is. So what we've got to do, this is part of living out the Christian life, I've got to learn how to take who Christ is and what he's done for me and apply it to the specific areas of my heart that are most restless and in turmoil within me. And so this is what the writer is doing here. And so the very first thing is that we've got to ABCs of emotional, healthy spirituality. Acknowledge and assess your thoughts, emotions, and actions regularly. Here's the next one. Believe that his blessings can heal all your brokenness. You can insert the word all in there. It should be all. I was just basically assuming that. But he can heal all of your brokenness. And he gives us now... In verses 3 through 5, three characteristics. There's more here, but I've, I've identified three primary characteristics or blessings of the Father heart of God. They're stated, and then the rest of the psalm, he begins to uh, work out the implications of each one of these. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus' favorite word for God was Father. 165 times in the four Gospels, he used this word father, this title for his dad. And so to understand how the father parents us is what informs us on how to parent. Now keep in mind, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, belief is not a denial of your brokenness, but it's a declaration that God can heal all your brokenness. So it's confronting your brokenness with the truth of God's word. And, and this is what he's doing. So he gives us three characteristics. And so here's what he's telling us that is that our, our Father in heaven, he forgives. This speaks of healing. That's your next fill in the blank on your notes. He forgives, speaks of healing. Look at verse 3. Who forgives all. Notice the word all. He forgives all your iniquity, all your sin, who heals all your diseases. The greatest healing we need is spiritual healing. I love the physical healing that God provides for us, but more importantly is the spiritual healing. Let me ask you this question. Is it more important that God reveal to us our sin or relieve us of our suffering? Certainly, he he loves to relieve us of our suffering, but many times he won't. We have a lot of suffering on this planet. And and the reason for this is because he's wanting to to reveal to us our sin. The ugliness of our suffering is revealing to us the ugliness of our sin. Sin will send you to hell. Sin will destroy your life. Suffering 
won't. Suffering oftentimes will drive us deeper into the love of God. And so he's more concerned about our sin than he, and he, than he is our suffering. So he's wanting to reveal that to us because he wants to bring healing. It's so much more important that you're healed spiritually than you are healed physically. Eventually, we'll all be healed physically. That's part of, part of the promise. And so the spiritual healing that we need, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all separated from God. We're not living for his glory. We're living for our own glory is really what he's saying there. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That means separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In justice, God passed the required sentence of, of death on our sin. And then in love, in his amazing love took that punishment himself on the cross through Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you've never made a confession of faith in Jesus Christ, this is how you do it. You, first of all, you acknowledge that your sin separates you from God. That's, that's the spiritual condition we all find ourselves in. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So you acknowledge that your sin separates you from God. You believe, ABC's here, acknowledge, believe that Christ died in your place for your sins. All of them. That's what he's saying right here in this text. Who forgives all your iniquity. Believe that he died in your place for your sins. And then see, confess him as Savior and Lord. Commit your life to him. You live your life for him. You can do that by prayer through faith, even right now. Even right now. And so, gospel amnesia. Remember, gospel amnesia is forgetting who God is, what he's done for us, who we are, and how that applies to the specific areas of our life. That's gospel amnesia. Gospel amnesia makes me feel condemned when, in fact, Christ took all of my guilt, shame, punishment, and condemnation, condemnation for me on the cross. Gospel amnesia makes me feel bitter and unforgiving when, in fact, Christ's forgiveness of me is so powerful that it gives me the capacity to forgive others. Forgiven people are forgiving people. To have a healthy relationship with your heavenly father, you need to forgive your earthly father. To forgive your earthly father, you'll need the compassion of your heavenly father. My father-in-law was quite the pistol. I'll never forget this. He attended Desert Breeze years ago when we were at the Rose Garden and then into the nightclub, and he came up to me at the end of one of the messages that obviously he was greatly impressed by, and he said, hell of a, hell of a message, Pastor, hell of a message, hell of a sermon is what he said. And I didn't know quite how to respond to that when someone says that. Hell of a message? He was an interesting guy, and I think he was certainly impacted by that message. He was also a jokester, very much a, a jokester. When he walked his daughter down the aisle to give her away to me, as he put her hand in my hands, he whispered in my ear and said, I now take her hand out of my pocket and put it in your pocket. <laughs> and her hand has been in my pocket ever since. 45 years this year. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And so what was interesting about her dad is uh, Nancy said that he was really 
a great provider, very concerned about their well-being, but he took a few wrong turns. And in the last 20 years of his life, he drank smoke and gambled his very lonely life away in a small apartment over here on Bell Road in about 63rd Avenue. His arrogance and unforgiveness alienated all of his family away from him, except for his sweet daughter, my bride. She loved her dad. She honored her dad, even though he was obnoxious and hard to get along with. And so she would go to be, meet with him, and I would say, do you want me to go with you? I was kind of hoping she'd say no, but uh, do you want me to go with you? And she said, I would really love it. And I said, okay, I'll go with you. So I'd go, and we'd meet with him, and we'd hang out with him. She'd show him, get, uh, show him pictures of the grandkids and talk to him and, and all of that. And she continued to reach out to him. And in 2018, he was struggling, went into the hospital, and was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So we went to the hospital to visit him. He told us about what was going on, and then he broke down and wept. He was like a prodigal son who was in the pig pen that all of a sudden came to his senses. Boom. I don't have long to live. And I've made a mess of my life because he told us that. He said, I don't know how in the world Jesus could ever forgive me. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, hold me back here. Huh? It's like, I mean, I could drive a back truck through that door. That's what Jesus specialized in. I didn't say it quite like that, but I'm like, oh. And so as we talked with him, we shared the gospel with him, and he'd heard the gospel before, but it took hold of his life. He committed his life to Jesus. It was amazing. I told my wife when we left there, I mean, praise God. Yeah, praise God. When we left there, I told my wife, I said, I'm telling you, God's up to something really big in your dad's life, and we have a front row to watch what God does, and he saves people, and he's saving your dad right now. I was blown away by that. We continue to be with him, help him, support him as he struggled with this stage four cancer. Here's why we knew that he had understood the forgiveness that God offered him is that he brought into his dying room where he was dying and he died within about three months after that. He brought in every family member that he had odds against, that he had struggles with, and forgave them, even his estranged wife of many years. And my wife and I could hear conversation and, and forgiveness and reconciliation and tears and laughter in that room. There was healing going on, and we knew that something had happened in his heart because he had received the forgiveness of God and now was able to offer it to everyone in his family and reconciled with them before he died. You are never so good you don't need God's forgiving grace, and you're never so bad that you can't receive God's forgiving grace. And the evidence that you have received it is that you're able to offer that to others. That's, that's what we saw. That's what we witnessed. So he forgives. Our Father in heaven forgives. It brings healing. Here's the next one. He redeems. He redeems. This speaks of wholeness. We live in a very broken world filled with sin and suffering. 
None of us are exempt. And so Jesus came to fix this broken world, and he starts by fixing us, by making us whole. Eventually, he will fix this broken world, but he starts with us as individuals and building his church. Look at verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. <laughs> Have you ever felt like you're in the pits? You're in a pit? The word pit here is the grave or destruction. So listen to what he does. He redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with this, uh, this verse. It's a quote from the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Peter 1.16 where God says, You shall be holy for I am holy. Uh, it's not saying here, and oftentimes we'll read that kind of wrongly, but it's not, it's not saying you better shape up, but this is what it's saying to us. You have incredible privilege, power, and potential for healing, health, and wholeness because that's the kind of father I am. You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's not a command as much as that is a promise. It's part of his DNA he passes on to us. Gospel amnesia makes me feel stuck in a pit when, in fact, Christ came to rescue me and crown me with a life of meaning, worth, and value. Gospel amnesia makes me feel unloved and alone, helpless, when, in fact, nothing can ever separate me from his steadfast love and his tender mercies are new every morning to give what I need for that day every day. Remember what it said? Who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. My father was Clint Eastwood, John Wayne, and Charles Bronson all wrapped up in one. He was the quintessential tough cowboy. He was a cowboy. He rodeoed, roped. I roped with him. He was never, ever intimidated by anything or anyone. He said there was only two kinds of music in this world. You guys have heard this before, country and western. <laughs> and would jokingly tell people his favorite songs were, All My Exes Live in Texas, which is crazy because uh, he was only ever married to my mom for over 60 years, but he was a jokester. So he'd say, that's my favorite song. And another one of his favorite songs is that he would say, you ain't much fun since I quit drinking. <laughs> he ran from God most of his life. I think he was running from his wrong concept of God. He ran from God most of his life until him and my mom became founding members of Desert Breeze, started in our home. And he began to attend faithfully, began to serve regularly, made this a part of his home. In fact, we, we started Desert Breeze to reach guys like my dad. <laughs> and shortly thereafter, as he was busy, we realized that he had a very severe drinking problem, that he struggled so much that it caused him to consider suicide. He said, I can't get over this. I'm, I'm going to take my life. I just, I'm, I'm a hardship on my family. And he really struggled. And, and so I was voted to do a one-man intervention on him by the family. They said, uh, you're voted. You have to go talk to him. And so I talked to him, confronted him over that. I remember sitting down with him and saying, hey, Dad, Dad, I know that you probably think that nobody knows. We all know. 
We know your struggle, and we love you. And we want so desperately for you to be set free. What can we do to help you? So we got him into a detox or rehab for a couple weeks, and he went into it. He was doing fine. Then he came back out and went right back to drinking. He go, ah, oh, I got to do another. I got to talk to him again. So I talked to him again. We got him in again. The second time, it was, it was good. It took... And uh, he, he finally was able to kick the, that habit, that horrible habit of drinking. And what was fascinating about it when you heard his testimony, by the way, it was a, a number of things that began to play into that. He got involved in our Celebrate Recovery program at the church. And uh, he got together with, uh, we had some counselors that were part of our church f- uh, family that he would uh, go to and help sort through some things from his past. I began to get with him regularly and walk him through kind of a Bible-based 12-step model. I'd get with him every, every week and kind of walk him through that. And this is what he would say, and this was part of his testimony. He said, the Lord set me free. He redeemed my life from alcohol. And it was through the love of my wife, the love of my family, and the love of the people of Desert Breeze Community Church. And he was set free. He experienced a freedom unlike I'd ever seen in his life. Absolutely amazing. Here's my point. There is no pit so deep beyond the reach of God's redeeming grace. No matter what your struggle is, no matter what you're struggling with, it is not a match for his redeeming, restoring grace. I saw that happen firsthand in my, my dad's life. So he, he forgives, he brings healing, he redeems, he brings wholeness. And then here's the next one, he satisfies. This speaks of happiness, joy, contentment. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Oh man, I, I, love, I love the metaphorical pictures that he's using here. So who satisfies you with good. Your Father in heaven satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God is not the means to the good life. Our relationship to him is the good life. Enjoying God's presence is life's most satisfying reality. That's what we talked about last weekend. Remember Psalm 84? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. In other words, all the wealth, fortune, and fame in this world does not compare to knowing him. And he says, your youth is renewed like the eagle. That's fascinating. What does he mean? He's just saying, hey, the Christian life, there's such satisfaction. It's invigorating. It's exciting. It's energizing, unlike anything you've ever experienced before. So gospel amnesia makes us feel envious when, in fact, though Christ was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich in the unspeakable and glorious pleasure of knowing and making him known. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Gospel amnesia makes us feel discontent when, in fact, God has done so much for me in Christ Jesus that if he never ever did another thing for me, I should praise and serve him with my whole being for the rest of my life until he takes me home. The last part of my dad's life before, he, before his severe dementia took over, I saw contentment, happiness, and joy in Christ and love for his family and people in general more than I ever had in my life. 
as he, my dad, faithfully served here at Desert Breeze. He was our church bouncer for many years. <laughs> Believe me, you didn't want to cross him. And don't talk trash about the preacher, okay? <laughs> my father-in-law suffered well. He suffered well and died well. It was amazing watching God's supernatural power in his life. There's so much more I could say about what went on in his life. Very supernatural things happening. But he suffered well and died well without bitterness, hopelessness, and despair. Because he had experienced the forgiveness, redemption, and satisfaction in Christ. Really really quite fascinating when you have a front row seat to watch what God does. My dad and my father-in-law both went to be with the Lord exactly two weeks apart in 2018. I did both of their funerals. Nancy and I are still upset at both of them for giving, for not giving us more time between their departures to heaven, okay? Like two weeks apart? Come on, give us a break. But they, we were so delighted that we saw God's work in both of their lives. So acknowledge and assess your thoughts, emotions, actions. Believe that God's blessings can heal all your brokenness. And we're out of time to really finish up the last, but you're going to have to do a lot of this work on your own because the letter C is contemplate his many blessings down into your heart. And in verses 6 through 19, the psalmist is working out the implications of the Father heart of God in redeeming us, forgiving us, and satisfying us. It's one thing to say these truths. It's another thing to begin to work these implications out into the everyday parts of your life. And, and this is where we work the medicine deep into our wound. And it's the spiritual discipline is called contemplation or meditation or worship, or self-talk, preaching the gospel to yourself, working out the implications and applications of the Father heart of God. It is listening and arguing with, with your heart the benefits of God. Do you do that? You need to do that. When you're down in the dumps, you're struggling, you better be arguing with yourself and applying the truth of who Christ is to your heart. It is a vigorous, prayerful meditation of the truths of God deep into my heart. You see, worship is ascribing ultimate worth and value to God in such a way that it engages and energizes your whole being. That's what's happening here. His mind, his emotion, his will, every part of his life. We are what we love. We worship what we love. If you want to change your thoughts, emotions, actions, change what you worship. Change what you love. The implications of the Father heart of God in, here's your next fill in the blank, redeeming us. I'm just going to read the text. There's so many implications to each of these verses. So this takes us from verses 6 to 9. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. In other words, it's just saying that God will balance the book, settle the score, and make all things right. So don't confuse his patience with his permission. God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance, 2 Peter 3, 9. No one gets away with anything is really what he's saying here. Even your perpetrators, 
They're not going to get away with anything. He's just saying that. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Just as God judged the Egyptians and led his people out of enslavement, he will do the same for us. God is not a restrictor. He is a liberator. He brings freedom to our lives. Verse 8, this verse, verse 8 is perhaps the best summary statement of the character of God in the Bible. It's, it's mentioned at least seven times. Listen to what it says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, he will not always chide. In other words, he won't always scold, nor will he keep his anger forever. Yes, he disciplines those he loves, but he he convicts us not to shame us, but to set us free, to satisfy our hearts and to show us more of his beauty and his glory. So the implications of the Father heart of God in redeeming us, wholeness, in forgiving us, that's your next one, that's healing us. Look at verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. God is merciful, not giving us what we deserve. Look at verse 11. Beautiful verse. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. How high are the heavens above the earth? It's immeasurable. That's his love for you. That's what it's saying. Verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How far is the east from the west? Yeah, immeasurable. He will never, ever, ever, ever hold your sin against you. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Verse 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Do you hear what he's saying there? That is absolutely breathtaking. His love for you is so very sophisticated. He knows exactly what you need as a unique, one-of-a-kind, original creation by him. He knows exactly what you need, and he will provide that for you. Out of his perfect love, infinite wisdom, and unlimited power. So the implications of the Father heart of God in redeeming us, wholeness, forgiving us, healing, satisfying us, happiness, joy, contentment. Look at verses 15 through 19, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. Here's what he's saying. Don't build your ultimate satisfaction on created things that are temporal and fleeting. That's what he's saying. And he goes on, verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to Children's children, verse 18, to those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Deep, durable satisfaction is only found in Christ Jesus. Here's your last two fill in the blanks. This is how you know you're getting healthy. You're getting whole right here. Praise is inner health and enjoyment of God made audible. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next weekend, but are you a praising kind of a person? Are you an upbeat, positive person because you know who God is and what he's done for you and who you are in light of that and, and are applying that to the specific areas of your life? Praise is inner health and enjoyment of God made audible. We praise what we enjoy. Praise not only expresses but completes our enjoyment. Look at verses 20 through 22. This is how he finishes the psalm. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of 
his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, all in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. End of the psalm. Next weekend, God's amazing promises for your personal revival. It's based on Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. I'll be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders or leaders. If you are new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, love to pray with you. If you have any questions, we'd love to try to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Father God, there is not a father on earth that wants the very best for their children as much as you want for us. We are so thankful that you forgive us, you redeem us, you satisfy us all by grace through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Continue to heal all of our brokenness as we apply these truths to our lives, all for your glory in Jesus' beautiful and glorious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you guys.